Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. Today, we are talking with Brittany Anise. Brittany is a freelance writer specializing in health, food, travel, and adventure for outlets such as Men's Journal, Forbes, Real Simple, Apartment Therapy, Hearst Publications, and more. She started as a writer for the Denver Post and the Boulder Daily Camera, spending nearly 15 years covering various beats and working as an award-winning investigative reporter. Hi, Brittany. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Me too. So you started your career in local newspapers in Denver and spent more than 10 years covering every beat from higher education to crime. Had you always wanted to be a journalist? Yes. Um, So my grandfather worked for the Detroit Free Press. And I, when I was a kid, I just thought it was so magical that he would go into work and then the next day there would be this paper that was produced and yeah. on your doorstep. And so I really got into newspapers when I was a kid and I had, um, so this is in the eighties, right? Uh, they had candy cigarettes and right. had this like funny um, perception of what reporters were. And I had a fedora <laughs> and a typewriter and I would pretend like I was a reporter and be like smoking uh, these candy cigarettes. And my, um, mom would be like calling me down for dinner and I'd be like, I'm on deadline. <laughs> and the best oh, part is, yeah. My grandma would pay me. I think she was paying me like 50 cents or a dollar um, for every story I wrote. So um, I was just super into um, the whole world of journalism and news as a nine-year-old. <laughs> I love that. What did your grandpa think about you wanting to go into it? Oh, he, it was, he was great. Um, He actually didn't work on the journalism side. He was on the um, production side and every year on my birthday, he would put like a ad in the paper that said, happy birthday. Um, (sighs) Bananas. I don't know why that was my nickname (laughs) when I was a kid. And it was just, I thought I was famous. I thought newspapers were just the coolest thing. Yeah. They're still wonderful, but it's amazing how media has changed over the years. (laughs) Oh, so much. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm dating myself, but when I started in newspapers, the printing press was in the actual newsroom. And um, so you'd file, mostly um, when you're right out of college, they start you on the night cops beat. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, And I would file a story, it would get edited, and 15 minutes later, you know, I would hear it going into the printing press um, and and being printed. And so there's some nostalgia, right, of um, what newspapers used to be. But um, yeah, it's just been such an exciting ride being in journalism. Yes. What was it like in local newspapers? Because you did that for quite a while. I did. I loved it. Um, So I worked up in Boulder, Colorado. So that's where I went to college. Um, Mm -hmm. And our newsroom was on the Pearl Street Mall, which if any of your listeners have been to Pearl Street, it's just this magical place. There's yeah. um, kind of like drummers on the mall. Um, there's all these street performers. Um, it, you're just like nestled right in the foothills. Um, it is so scenic. We'd have um, movies come in and use our newsroom space. And then over the years, I mean, it was such prime 
real estate, the building ended up getting sold and, and we um, went out further east in the county. But um, okay. it was just, I couldn't believe that was my career. I got to, you know, show up to this beautiful space and, and tell stories in the local community. And um, I just, I, I also worked at the Denver Post um, starting when I was in college, which um, used to have a building right in the middle of uh, downtown as well. And I learned so much in newspapers. I think that for a freelance career, yeah. newspapers really shaped me in a way. Um, so our one of my editor editors um, in the Boulder paper really liked to change our beats up every once in a while. Okay. And so you, I think that's such a great skill to bring over into freelance because it gives you the confidence to move between travel and food and beverage. And then when the pandemic hit, I was covering yeah. tech and <laughs> real estate and you know, being confident to be able to make those transitions um, is something that I, I learned from my newspaper background. Yeah, what a great skill. I know in TV, you know, as my TV background, we had to change every day, depending, although we didn't get to go in depth or, you know, do the stories like newspaper reporters got to do, but we did have to change daily as well. And it's a great skill. Yeah, you wouldn't know what you're covering until you show up that day. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, there are so many countless stories, I'm sure, but are there any that stick out over time when you're in the local newspaper? Yes. Um, so um, when I was in, well, a, a few things. So when I started, I started at the Denver Post and I was still in college. So I, um, it was this great on the grounds experience. And I had a professor at CU who ran our ethics course, and that was mandatory to graduate with your journalism degree. Right. He had a policy that you had to, you could only have three absences. So I remember it was one of the biggest stories um, that was happening at the time in Colorado. We had this um, huge football recruiting scandal. And I was working full-time basically as a senior in college down at the Denver Post. And I would be in the middle of a story and I would have to run to my car, haul it up to Boulder, which was about 45 minutes away, <laughs> go to this media ethics class, and then drive all the way back down and finish my story and file on deadline. And it was so interesting to me because I was living media ethics at the time. But right. also, he was not, he was not impressed. He was not going to bend that policy <laughs> for me in any way. Um, so there was that. But um, then when I was, um, at the daily camera, we had uh, this policy where I think at the time we maybe had eight local reporters and every, we would rotate, we'd get these chances to, um, to uh, do what they called the Sunday centerpiece. So it would be the, the main story on the highest red day and sure. you would get time. People would fill in for you on your beats and um, you would have a week or two to really do some in-depth reporting on a story that you pitched and developed and that you were passionate about. And so those ended up being some of my favorite um, stories uh, that I, I, I got to write. And I loved that we had this ethos in the newsroom to let people really you know, put aside all the daily work and let them do a deep dive. And um, yeah. so some of the stories I told, there was a woman who was, um, she talked to local schools about what it was like to be diagnosed with HIV um, and uh, not know if she was going to, um, this was years ago, right? So she didn't know if there were going to be enough uh, drug combinations to, to keep her from teetering uh, into 
an AIDS diagnosis. And I got to spend two weeks with her, kind of like following her around and watching her do her activism and um, learn so much from her and then write this uh, personality piece about her, uh, profile about her. And um, so experiences like that, that's what you, you know, get to tell these stories. And I always think one of my friends said um, that she liked to be a mirror for people. And I thought that that was such a great way to put it because that's exactly what we were doing is, you know, um, doing yeah. in-depth stories and, and being a mirror for somebody's uh, story and um, giving them kind of a voice. So I got, I loved doing these in-depth profiles, but I also, that's how I started doing some investigative work. Um, so okay. I get a tip and then be able to pursue it and um, have the time to really dig deep and do the open records requests and uh, just am so grateful for the support that we had in the newsroom at the time Yeah, to do those stories. Mm-hmm. So after spending so much time internally at newspapers, how did you end up in the freelance world doing more, you know, yeah. this feature type writing rather than hard news? Yes. Um, so <laughs> I, so I started doing investigative reporting and then I kind of got recruited into this role where I was doing background investigations for a government contractor for people that were getting security clearances. Okay. Which goes along with investigative. It was. And this was at a time. So I was at newspapers. I was bartending at night because, and I think I probably made more money bartending um, (laughs) than I did in newspapers. (laughs) And I kind of knew um, that I wasn't going to be able to do that forever. And there were, it was a really rocky time for newspapers. There were layoffs. Um, coming down quite frequently. And, you know, I was in these meetings about how do we, um, how do we continue to make money? Because we had gone for so long without putting paywalls up that people didn't see news as something that you would pay for. Um, And so we were just trying to figure it out. And I, I was starting to get, you know, like I felt really privileged that I had um, a pretty good uh, 15 year run in newspapers. <laughs> and yeah, that's so, great. <laughs> yeah. So I took this job um, doing background investigations and I hated it. <laughs> mm. The best way that I could describe it is I was homesick for journalism. Um, yeah. It wasn't a fit for me. It was, you know, I came from this newspaper background where you could come in with an idea and that afternoon be pursuing that idea. And all of a sudden I was working with this like, 200 page handbook that dictated oh, everything in the right. doc. and there was so much red tape and it was the kind of red tape that I was writing about being ridiculous when I was <laughs> right. in newspapers and so I still felt like um I needed to have this creative outlet so I was doing a little bit of freelancing so I was writing for a local magazine called Denver Life magazine and then I was also writing a little bit for Men's Journal and it got to the point where I was like you know I I think I could make this work full time. So I quit the investigations job and was uh, started uh, writing for magazines and digital. And then it just is such a freelancer's market um, in the last several years that I just found myself, I thought maybe I was going to do it until I figured out what my next career move was, but that was six years ago. And I (laughs) have never gotten through my to-do list completely. Right. So um, it's, been such a, a fun transition. There's a lot that's, <laughs> I mean, at the base, there's the, you're telling stories. And like I said, you're being that mirror for people's stories, or you're exploring a place and asking questions. And I think you can apply a lot of that 
um, those skills you get from a newsroom or, or right. from, from just being a curious person to writing for magazines and digital. But I had this editor who said, um, why are your paragraphs so short? And why do your stories just end <laughs> like uh, without any kickers? And I was like, oh, that's a big difference between newspapers and magazines. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and, and now as before, I guess you write about a wide variety of topics. What are some of your favorite to focus on? Oh, yes. Um, so I love travel. I think travel is the most fun. Um, yeah. I, I also really am into uh, writing about beverages and um, specifically tequila. Um, that's kind of my niche beat. I have a little bit of a reputation, I think, with my editors of liking the kind of quirky, fun, lighthearted stories. Um, so I'm kind of a kid at heart. Um, I turned 40 this week, but I think <laughs> hey, we can still be. <laughs> yeah. I have spent like most of my birthdays at a water park. And so like all these fun stories that are, you know, ranking the best rides at our local water park or stuff like that. And I think that um, my editors are, are really fun with that and will give me some of the kind of quirky um, assignments every once in a while. Um, so I love that. I also... Um, during the pandemic, I did start writing about real estate a lot because that was just so on fire. And I think there's yeah. so many interesting stories to be told in that space, especially for, um, you know, Gen Z and, and millennials, because the, the landscape of real estate's really, really hard yeah. to navigate um, right now. And so I really enjoy doing those kind of service pieces. Um, I recently did a story about some women in Austin who were friends and they went, went in, um, on buying a house together. Cause you just have to get super creative. Um, yeah. and I'll find stories on TikTok every once in a while and reach out, um, over TikTok to see if I can interview people. So there was this, um, couple that bought, um, their, uh, the husband's childhood home and are turning it into a wedding venue. So I, I just think that, oh, they're, cool. they're, yeah, there's all these fun stories that are, being told on um, social media that uh, I love to dive a little deeper into. That's what I was going to ask next actually was how you get your stories and how you decide what to cover. So is a lot of it through social? Yeah, so I love um, through social. I think that um, when we have these conversations about work-life balance, it's so interesting to me because I feel like my brain is never turning off um, when I'm out with my friends or my family. I feel you. I'm always, <laughs> yes, I'm always thinking in terms of story ideas, and so um, and I um, people who I've traveled with before, I'm always like when they'll tell me a story, I'll be like, you have to write that as an essay, you know, like I, I want to read that uh, story. So um, yeah, social, I think just, um, I get some really great pitches from publicists uh, that I love to, to pursue um, and just kind of, I love hearing people's stories. Um, I'm just a really curious person. So when I'm on a, a travel assignment, um, I love to, to do interviews and kind of meet locals and, and kind of develop stories that way. How can public relations professionals, speaking of them, help you do your job? And do you have any pet peeves? Sure. Um, so I, uh, my pet peeve is my inbox right now. And so <laughs> yeah. bad I'm not managing it because one of the problems that, and I don't, I don't know what the solution is to this. I've thought about, you know, 
reaching out to a business coach or something because during the pandemic, um, I started writing across so many verticals that yeah. um, right now um, I'll get on, I call it like email rush hour. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays, sometimes I'll get a thousand emails. Um, wow. Certain times of the day or is it? I feel like always from um, like I'm on the West coast. So about okay. like 10 to two is what okay. I is email rush hour. And there are some great story ideas in there that I would love to pursue. Um, I sometimes I'm just so busy right now. And then there's somewhere, you know, there's, it, it's just, I'm on so many lists right now, just because I've covered right, all those title. different beats. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I don't, I, I feel bad, uh, you know, that there's so many great pitches in there that I wish I could respond to or, um, pursue as stories. Um, I wish I, there were more of me, <laughs> I wish I could clone myself, um, <laughs> But then uh, as far as pet peeves go, I, I wouldn't say it's a pet peeve with publicists. I think that um, one thing that's coming up a lot now, and I think that uh, publicists and writers can use this as an opportunity for education is I'm noticing um, so many SEO firms are reaching out and saying, we saw this story you wrote last year, do your readers a favor and add a link to our study or our- What? Really? Um, yes. It's becoming quite common. And- I have to explain, like, you know, first of all, that would be an impossible task if I'm writing three stories a day and have been doing so for yes. five years or six years to go in and continually update stories. Um, but also that it's just not in our, you know, reader's best interest to get you a link right? Um, after the fact. And so that's one thing that I think is um, a little bit of a pet peeve right now that I think yeah. there's probably some education that we need to to be doing around that. So I also noticed on a few of your recent articles, like the one on Jimmy Johnson for men's journal yeah. is produced in partnership. Mm -hmm. So tell us more what that means when readers see that disclaimer. Yes. So what that means um, is that there is a, a partner, a brand partnership. So it's sponsored content. Um, and what that means is a sponsor has come in and they've decided to um, do several stories with the publication. So I've done some of this work with um, Thrillist, with Apartment Therapy, with Men's Journal. And it's not anything that writers necessarily, especially freelance writers, have um, any say in. It gets assigned to you. And okay. the reason writers love these assignments so much is they end up paying so much more than what a typical um, uh, editorial story would pay because it has that brand sponsorship. Right. So as an, as an example, I wrote a story for um, apartment therapy at the beginning of the year and um, filed it. And then uh, Target came in and wanted to sponsor a bunch of articles. My story had already been written, um, edited, was ready to go. But my editor said, hey, Target's going to sponsor some of these articles. Um, and now all of a sudden your rate is almost double. Wow. <laughs> so it's That's a, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that they pass along that extra um, income to, or extra revenue to writers. Yes. Um, and then, so some of the sponsored content too, you'll interview a source um, and explain how they're, I, I recently interviewed um, one of the trainers from The Biggest Loser who experiences migraine and he's been working with a, a company that helps him manage those migraines. And so I, I interviewed him and wrote the story uh, in partnership with that. 
company. So okay. uh, what's the big takeaway between those and typical editorial stories is the client does get to review the article. Right, right. So that's where the, the disclaimer helps, <laughs> helps yes, readers exactly. to know too. Right? Yeah. So what are some stories that you're currently working on? Yes. Um, so I have a some travel stories that I've done recently. I One story that I'm really excited about is I went to Montreal, which is the Cirque du Soleil capital yeah. um, of the world. And I interviewed one of the Cirque artists and I actually took circus training. So <laughs> cool, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I got to hula hoop and juggle and um, get on the aerial silks. And um, so I think there's this really fun story. I'm kind of forming it right now yeah. about um, how to, where to run off and join the circus because <laughs> we're coming out of a pandemic. They're saying we're going into a recession. Like I just, <laughs> it's time to. <laughs> we want to run away, right? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> what so, else can we do? Right. That's a fun story that I'm working on. Um, and then one project that I'm going to be filing and done with this week is about um, I'm writing livability. One of my clients um, puts out a best places to live every year list. So I'm doing these okay. write-ups about there's going to be a hundred cities and yeah. um, I get to do the write-ups about uh, these cities, but it, they're, they're kind of fun in a, a way that there's elements of um, what's the best way to explore the city and the outdoors or what's uh, a beloved bookstore? Where should you go for happy hour? And um, it's interesting because I have been to a lot of cities on the list and I'm excited about um, this list that's coming out because there's some good ones on there. Yeah. So are you just given the list and then you write about each one? Yes. So there's a bunch of uh, components that are used to determine, you know, so uh, sure whether it makes the list. So economics, um, you know, how sound the economy is, amenities, um, affordability, that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, we can't wait to keep reading. <laughs> so before we go, I have to ask you, we haven't heard from your dog yet, but <laughs> you say your dog is a Boston Terrier gremlin mix. <laughs> You've got to tell us more. Yes, he is. So, so um, uh, I got him back in 2000. 11. My dad had just passed away and mm. I needed something to get me out of the bed in the morning and make <laughs> me laugh. And boy, did he deliver. Oh. Um, so this is one of the stories I've always wanted to tell and have not gotten around to, but um, the rescue that I got him from partners with truck drivers and really? they, um, cause the dogs kind of keep them company as they're driving across the country. Yeah. And <laughs> so I met my truck driver and my dog up at this like McDonald's in Wyoming or yeah in, in Cheyenne Wyoming and the my dog gets out and the truck driver said this one is a naughty one. Oh no <laughs> and he is so food motivated I joke that he's like this potbelly pig um <laughs> that they said was a Boston Terrier but he has uh, his most recent stunt was um, last fall. We get these really <laughs> good tamales here in Colorado uh -huh. um, in the fall. With, um, and he, we left some on the counter and he pawed them down and ate like nine frozen tamales. Oh my um, goodness. He is so food motivated. <laughs> he's not very big, right? No, no. <laughs> he's, not, 
when I came home, his stomach was like cold and shaking because they were frozen. So um, he is just like the most food motivated um, dog. And he's so, but he's also super cuddly and super sweet. He is, it's so funny. The breed name is uh, the American gentleman and he is anything but. but is also really photogenic and so he looks so dapper and sweet in photos and um I get to use him a lot in some of the stories that I write oh that's wonderful what's his name Tyson Tyson Mm -hmm. okay we can see him on like your Instagram oh yeah (laughs) wonderful (laughs) We, we will have links in our show notes where else can listeners connect with you online yeah, I think Instagram is kind of the platform I'm using most. So that's okay. Anis 33 And then um, just email uh, is, is great. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Angela. It's been really nice talking with you. That's all for this episode of Media and Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time.